You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. puts John at the top of the list of all the prophets that have been sent by God to the Jewish people. And all the men that were born of women, Jesus says there's not one that's greater than John the Baptist. But then he makes this extremely remarkable statement after he says that. You think of John the Baptist being the pinnacle of all the prophets and all the law. He's the pinnacle of that. But then Jesus follows that statement with this. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than than he. It's hard to fathom that we are greater than John the Baptist. Today in Pastor Dave's message, he points out the amazing power we hold as Christ believers in the New Covenant. God's Word describes John as superior to anyone born of a woman. But as Christians, we have Christ's Spirit and therefore are closer to God. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he begins his message. Paul's first sermon, The Declaration. We have been looking at what is called Paul's first sermon, Paul's very first sermon that he preaches. This is Paul's first sermon, part two. Today's called The Declaration. So if you will turn in your word to Acts 13, we're going to pick up beginning in 23 through 37. But it really, I, want, I looked at it, I want to go back to 23, and we're going to look at 23 through 37. Turn in your word, please. I will read aloud if you want to read along silently in your, in, in your Bibles today. Beginning in Acts 13, verse 23. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for his death in him, They asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses of this people, to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, and is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he has also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. 
For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you, have could, which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, and though, uh, though one were to declare it to you. Well, to start off today, I would like to read to you from this very, very important document. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them together and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind, requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I certainly hope you recognize that as the preamble to our Declaration of Independence. That's what it was. The Declaration of Independence was written and signed in July 1776. This document declared freedom from the rule of Great Britain and a tyrannical king. This is one of the most famous declarations ever recorded. The result of this declaration was the Revolutionary War, which led to our liberty and freedom and the establishment of the nation which we now call the United States of America. To declare means to make clear intentions. A declaration is a proclamation intending to lead to action. When making a declaration, one avows or makes known by words that result in a course of action. A declaration then becomes a formal announcement, whether it's oral or written. And according to law, a declaration is a formal statement by a plaintiff specifying the facts and circumstances constituting his or her cause for action. In other words, why they did what they did or why they believed what they believed. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts, specifically Paul's first sermon. We studied verses 14 through 23, and in them we saw the preparation, the preparation for the nation Israel, for the Messiah. Paul reviews this great history of this nation Israel. He tells the brethren that are gathered here in the synagogue, he tells them that they should have known and they're without excuse that the Messiah had come because they had been prepared for it all their lives. Since they started Hebrew school as little boys and girls, they were prepared for the coming Messiah because it was taught every single Sunday, or excuse me, every single Sabbath day from the scriptures. They should have known and expected the coming of the Messiah because of their preparation. Paul tells these men that it was God's plan to build that nation. It was God's plan to protect that nation. It was God's plan to bring that nation into the promised land. God wanted to be their God. He wanted them to be his people. God was preparing them. Paul said that God wanted Israel to be a theocracy, which is a nation governed by God, a nation where they trusted in God and God alone for leadership. 
He led them out of Egypt. He spent 40 years with them in the wilderness and provided for them everything they needed. Their shoes never wore out. They always had food to eat. Their clothes never wore out. For 40 years, he provided with them. He put up with their whining and complaining. He had great patience with them. God have great patience with you? Is he long-suffering with you? Long-suffering with me. Remember one time I was waiting for my son to come out of a piano lesson. He was always late. Every time he went to a piano lesson, he seemed to come out late. And I would, didn't have a lot of patience back then. Not sure I have the greatest amount of patience right now. But I was waiting for him, and I couldn't understand why. It, when I was supposed to be there at 5 o'clock, he couldn't come out at 5 o'clock, and we could go home. Why was it always 5 after 5 or quarter after 5? I would get agitated. And one day I was sitting there, and I was just kind of disgusting, and I was sitting there thinking, why am I so agitated? What's going on? Why can't this young man come out on time? And you know what? When the Lord speaks to you with a hammer, he hits you sometimes right square in the head. And for somehow in my mind I heard, why are you upset? I waited for you for 43 years. Oh, okay. God was patient with the nation of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. He provided for them. He wanted them to trust in them. He led them out of Egypt and fed them. He gave them judges to help rule them. And every time there was a problem, he rose up men like Samson and Gideon to lead them out of bondage and, and help them. All they had to do was trust and obey him, but the people weren't satisfied. They wanted a king. They wanted a king because everybody else had a king. So God gave them Saul. But Saul didn't obey the commandments of God. So God raised up another man by the name of David to be king. David, a man after God's heart, a man whom God gave the promise that through his seed, God would bring forth the Messiah. And this is what David put his faith in. This is what David believed in, God's word. We looked at Acts 12, verses 22 and 23. And when he had removed him, that's God, he raised him up as David is king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, from David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for us a Savior, Jesus. Paul's point was that Israel was prepared for the coming of Messiah. They had been given the prophets throughout the scriptures. They had types of Christ in their history, like Joseph and Daniel. The Israelites witnessed God's mighty hand with them throughout the history as they lived. God had always been faithful with them, and none of his promises ever failed. Everything he said that would come about, came about. Everything he said that would happen, happened. Paul now brings these men and the history of Israel right to one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. One person who came forth, one man, and Paul is now bringing that right in as a funnel, right into this direction, and he declares to them these things. And in this declaration that we're going to talk about today, there's four of them that I looked at. These declarations, and you can see them, they become the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 24 through 26, you see the declaration of Jesus by John the Baptist. In verses 27 through 29, I see the declaration of Jesus' death. And in verses 30 through 37, I see the declaration of the resurrection. And finally, in verses 38 through 41, I see the declaration of promise and warning. God's declaration to the people, to all people, not just the Jews, but to all the people. As we look at Acts 13, 23 through 25, we see the declaration of John the Baptist. 
It says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John had preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. He came preaching repentance. He came as one crying out in the wilderness, make way the straight of the Lord, make the path of the Lord straight. He fulfilled Isaiah 40, verse 3. They asked John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And he declared, no, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. Then we know in John 1, verse 29, John boldly declares who the Messiah was. He sees Jesus walking towards him, and he points to him in John 1, 29, and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's declaring that this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the one who will remove our sins forever and take them from us. This is he, he says, of whom I said, after me comes a man who's preferred before me. John bears witness that this Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the most high God. John's testimony becomes an eyewitness testimony. And later he says, I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. We have John's testimony. John's testimony is true. Look what Jesus says about John the Baptist in Luke 7, 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Wow. Jesus puts John at the top of the list of all the prophets that have been sent by God to the Jewish people. And all the men that were born of women, Jesus says there's not one that's greater than John the Baptist. But then he makes this extremely remarkable statement after he says that. You think of John the Baptist being the pinnacle of all the prophets and all the law. He's the pinnacle of that. But then Jesus follows that statement with this. But he who was least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What? He's saying that the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. He just got finished declaring that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever was sent by God. I was reading something by Pastor Chuck, and he said this about this exact passage. The privileges that you have as a child of God living in this age are superior to the highest position of the old dispensation where God related to man in a legal way through the law. Now, those who related to God from a legalistic background, their greatest was John the Baptist. And yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God has greater privileges, a deeper relationship with God through the Holy Spirit than the highest of the prior dispensation. Hear what he's saying here? He's saying because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because the Holy Spirit now dwells within us, we have a better relationship with God than those that came to God by the law. We have a deeper meaning and a deeper relationship. He's talking about us, those that are least in the kingdom. We don't have a legal relationship, which is based on the law. We have a loving relationship, which is based on God's grace. And that's the basis for the entire relationship that we have, God's grace. See, John wasn't born again in the terms of the new covenant because Jesus hadn't accomplished anything on the cross when John met him. 
and before John died. He recognized Jesus. He believed in Jesus was the Son of God. I remember when he said that, that probably was accounted to him as righteousness because that belief in God's word. But John still was under the law. And Jesus was saying, when it comes to the law, when it comes to the prophet, John is the greatest. But he was least in the kingdom. The least one is greater than he because of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have a deeper, meaningful relationship. So Paul now, through the testimony of John the Baptist, he makes this declaration to the men gathered in the synagogue that day. He said, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of salvation has been sent. To you the word of salvation. Notice how he's addressing this. He's, he's addressing both the Jewish brethren. Remember, he's in Antioch in Pisidia. He's in the synagogue and there are Jew and Gentiles there together. And he's addressing both. Family of Abraham, talking to the Jews. And those among you who fear God, he's talking to the Gentiles. It's the gospel message being made for all, Jew and Gentile alike, where the Lord is trying to make one church, one body, one man out of both. He's broken down those walls. But notice something different here. Up until this very point, Paul has been using the pronoun they, your fathers, they did this, they did that. This is what they were prepared for. Now, all of a sudden, he changes pronoun. Unto you, salvation has been sent. Unto you. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because the gospel message is personal. The gospel message is a personal message. It comes to each one of us, and we are each responsible for what we hear. When you're taught the gospel message, you are responsible for it. You either accept it or you don't. It's that simple. The gospel message is preached and you hear it, you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. It's a personal thing. Sometimes we think, oh, that's for other people. That's not for me. Sometimes we think God, God makes it very personal to us. And we have to accept it. He said, this message is being declared to you today. And I proclaim to you, this message is also being declared to you who are seated here. The same message is being declared to you. Salvation has come today in the form of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he says the word of salvation has been sent. There's no other name, Peter said in his defense to the Sanhedrin when we studied Acts 4, verse 12. He said, nor is salvation in another name, nor is there another name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, and that's where Paul's taking him. Jesus declares that salvation has come, and John the Baptist has testified it. This must have taken these guys by surprise. They must be scratching their head going, wait a minute. I mean, the one we heard about from the prophets, the one we've been waiting for, you mean the Messiah? He, he came and we missed it? They must have been scratching their heads. Yes, Jesus the Messiah had come, but he was rejected by men. And Paul now looks to the death of Jesus Christ, and he makes another declaration in verses 27 through 29. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophet, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Paul now explains to them why their leaders in Jerusalem rejected and crucified their Messiah. It wasn't because they hadn't heard about him. 
It wasn't because they hadn't heard about him day in and day out or all time during Hebrew school or every single Sabbath day. They read Isaiah 53. They read the Psalms. But although they had the prophets read to them, they didn't understand what was being said. They didn't grasp it for themselves. They didn't take it personally. They didn't look to the future. It says, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, it says in Isaiah 53.3. They were the ones that rejected him. They were the ones that killed him. Thus, they fulfilled the prophecies concerning him. By their not knowing, they fulfilled all these prophecies. John Corson says this, why did the Jews demand Pilate to kill Jesus? Why did the Jews demand Pilate do that? Well, if you look at Acts 7, they stoned Stephen. And in Acts 14, the same Jews are going to stone Paul. So why didn't they stone Jesus? Because the Old Testament prophecy says that he had to die on a tree. The Old Testament prophecy said that he had to die on a cross. Look at the serpent in the wilderness on the pole in Numbers 21. The serpent, the one that was lifted up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, like the serpent in the wilderness, I will draw all men to me. That was a symbol of crucifixion. Deuteronomy 21, 23 declares that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul wants to communicate the idea that Jesus was cursed so that we would be blessed. Jesus was cursed so that we would be blessed. Look what he says in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ was cursed so that we would be blessed. Paul is saying to these men that the, your fathers were moved by forces that they didn't even understand. They were doing things that they didn't even realize they were doing. The Jewish leaders appealed to a Roman governor so that Christ would be put to a Roman death, and this fulfilled the scriptures that were written about him. Every Sabbath day, they read the scriptures. The scriptures were discussed, and they looked for the Messiah, but they didn't understand them. Caution. Don't be too harsh on them. Do not be too harsh on them. Many people come into church every single week. They hear the word of God. It's given and delivered, and they do not understand it. They cannot apply it to their lives. We become no different than those forefathers. Without understanding, we don't know. But we have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit to open the Scriptures to us and tell us what the Scriptures mean. We have a better advantage than they had. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit inside you. He will lead you into what? All truth. So we have it in more advantage than they do because we're blessed with the Holy Spirit. He guides us into that truth. Now, these men in that synagogue that day were probably astonished by Paul's declaration regarding the death of Jesus. They probably had never looked at it that way. To them, he was just some lunatic. Some guy was out there trying to stir up trouble. They had never realized who he really was. But the best was yet to come. You are Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. 
Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.